0: Today we're coming to the book of Lamentations, and we're talking about pain, grief, suffering, and loss. Wonderful topics, aren't they? Um, There was a British author by the name of Julian Barnes who kind of hit on the discomfort that we feel, our inadequacies in talking about this subject. Uh, His wife of 30 years died from a brain tumor, and Barnes wrote that what struck him was how many of his closest friends didn't know how to talk honestly about his grief. Barnes is quoted as saying, "Some friends are as scared of grief as they are of death. They avoid you as if they fear infection." Hmm. Do you relate to that? Do, do you find it when you see someone suffering and someone in pain that you yourself struggle with, How do I engage them? Do you yourself, when you're going through pain and suffering or loss, find an inadequacy inside of yourself just to even know how to process? Barnes says that one friend came to him and advised him after his wife died to get a dog. Some other friend suggested that he go on a long vacation. He said, barely a week after my wife's funeral, a friend cheerily asked, so what are you up to? Are you going to take a walking holiday? Barnes couldn't fault his friends, he said. He recognized the difficulty of dealing with someone who is walking alongside one who is struggling with suffering. And loss. He would go on to write, I remember a dinner conversation in a restaurant with three married friends. Each had known my wife for many years. I mentioned her name, no one picked it up. I did it again, nothing. Perhaps the third time I was deliberately trying to provoke and afraid to touch her name. They denied her thrice, and I thought the worst of them for it. Just not even being able to speak someone's name. We struggle. We struggle with dealing with suffering, pain, and loss in our own lives. We struggle in helping others walk through it. And today, we're coming to Lamentations chapter 3. And so I invite you to turn your Bibles to Lamentations chapter 3 because we're getting into the heart this morning of this this topic of of how do we, as the people of God, face suffering and pain in our life. Now, i got to set the context for what we're looking at today. We looked last week at Lamentations 1 and 2, and one of the things that we talked about is that the book of Lamentations was written, it's a a work of poetry, as the author of Lamentations reflects on a devastating time in the nation of Israel's history. When the nation of Israel had been taken captive and then brought into exile by the Babylonians in 587 B.C. And so Lamentations is written from the perspective of this author, and chapters 1 and 2 are are his perspective as he looks at the devastation and the ruin that has come upon the city of Jerusalem and its people. And so when you read 1 and 2, you see all that has happened, all the affliction that has come upon them. But also in chapters 1 and 2, the author makes it abundantly clear that the pain, suffering, and loss of Lamentations 1 and 2 has a, has a direct source. There's a reason for it. And the reason for the pain, suffering, and loss of Lamentations 1 and 2 is very simply this. God's people had engaged in unrepentant sin, and God judges unrepentant sin. He doesn't let unrepentant sin go unpunished. And so when the author of Lamentations is talking about the pain and the suffering that the people of God are experiencing, he describes it in really horrific detail, but then he says, listen, we shouldn't have been surprised at it. We knew it was coming. We knew that this kind of suffering and loss was going to come into our lives because God had said, if you walk in my ways, you'll be my blessed people. But to forsake me is to forsake my blessing and to accept instead of my blessing, my judgment. He had told them hundreds of years before that this very thing being carried off by a foreign nation, having their city devastated was what it would happen if they engaged in unrepentant sin. And that's exactly what happened. And so as you're reading Lamentations 1 and 2, there are a couple of deep truths that are, that are supposed to uh, come to the forefront of our mind. One of those deep truths is that sin is far worse than we think it is. Sin is far worse than we think it is. In fact, sin leads to suffering. All the sin in the world can be traced back to sin that came into the world through Adam and Eve, and then we've continued to reproduce in our in our own lives. Uh, you can't read Lamentations 1 and 2 without being confronted with this fact that we don't think about the severity of sin and that disobedience to a holy God, well, it should produce His righteous judgment upon us. And something that I, I think I had failed to mention last week was was just this one very simple thought. You see, we think obedience sometimes is too much of a hardship. Sometimes in our lives, we think that obedience is too much of a hardship. We don't want to obey. And, and when God calls us to do something that, that we think is too hard, we even can resent him for asking us to doing it. Following God is not easy at times. But church, listen to me. The price of obedience is a bargain in comparison to the price of rebellion. If one thing that Lamentations 2 teaches us is that when God calls us to obedience, he's actually calling us to what is good. Even though in the moment it might seem hard, disobedience always, always costs us more, takes us farther than obedience ever will. Are you tracking with me on that? I mean, you know it in your own lives. You see it in the lives of your children. Obedience brings about blessing. Disobedience, maybe not in the moment, maybe not immediately, but disobedience, it always costs us. So here's two things, though, that I need to say before we go any further. Lamentations 1 and 2 tells us that sin is far worse than we think it is, and sin brings suffering into the world. It also tells us that the suffering and pain and loss of the people of God in Lamentations 1 and 2 was a direct result of their sin. In this situation, the pain, the suffering, and the loss of the Jewish people was a direct result of their sin. But now hear me. Not every time you and I are experiencing pain, suffering, and loss in our lives is because of a specific sin you or I committed. Are you following me on that? There are times where suffering and loss are a direct consequence Because of sin that we have committed, sometimes there's pain, suffering, and loss that we cannot fully explain. But what we do know is that if there is any pain, suffering, or loss in this world, it is because sin exists. All have sinned. All fall short of the glory of God. We all suffer pain as a consequence of sin. And I say that because today we come to lamentations 3 and in lamentations chapter 3 something happens the perspective of the author of this book his percept- perspective shifts verses 1 or chapters 1 and 2 the author is writing from his vantage point looking out at the pain suffering and loss of the nation as a whole in chapter 2 or in chapter 3 the perspective shifts and the author's going to talk about the pain suffering and loss that he's experienced directly in his life. So verses or chapters 1 and 2 are him looking out at things and commenting on what it looks like from the outside. Now he's going to talk about what pain suffering loss looks like to him. And what we're going to learn from him is this, no matter what whether the pain suffering and loss is because of a direct sin that you or I have committed, or because we just simply live in a sinful world. What this chapter is going to show us is how ultimately we can still have hope in the midst of those things. But there is first and foremost something we must realize, and this is what chapter three first tells us. And it's very simply this. If you're taking notes, here's the first point. Pain, suffering, and loss will have an impact on you. Pain, suffering, loss will have an impact on you. This might be the most obvious statement in the world, but it is so important that you realize this very simple truth, that no matter who you are, no matter what kind of life you live, at some point or another, pain, suffering, loss, living in a fallen world, it will have an impact on you. And sometimes we don't even realize what that impact looks like. But he describes it for us. Look at verse one. He says, I'm gonna read the first 20 verses. Listen to the impact that sin has on him and his relationship with God. I am the man who has seen affliction under the rod of his wrath. He has driven and brought me into darkness without any light. Surely against me he turns his hand again and again the whole day long. He has made my flesh and my skin waste away. He has broken my bones. He has besieged and enveloped me with bitterness and tribulation. He has made me dwell in darkness like the dead of long ago. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and I cry for help, he shuts out my prayer. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. He has made me desolate. He bent his bow and set me as a target for his arrow. He drove into my kidneys. I have become the laughingstock of all peoples, the object of their taunts all day long. He has filled me with bitterness. He has seeded me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel and made me cower in ashes. My soul is bereft of peace. I have forgotten what happiness is, so I say so I say, my endurance has perished, so has my hope from the Lord. Remember my affliction and my wanderings, the wormwood and the gall. My soul continues, continually remembers it and is bowed down within me. What a picture. Does this sound like a man who is experiencing suffering? I don't see how you could read that any other way. But as you read the description of of his suffering, what he's telling you and what he's telling me, what he's describing for us is how he feels, mark that word in your mind, how he feels about all that has come upon him and his relationship specifically with God. And he's being honest with us. He's saying, this is how I feel. This is my perspective on all that has taken place. And the first thing that he tells us is that when you are in pain and suffering and loss, you can feel as though God is against you or does not care. Over and over again, as you read chapter 3, this message seems to, to come clear. Look at verse 2. He says, he has driven me and brought me into darkness without any light. He, he's made my flesh and my skin waste away. You go down to verse 10. He is a bear lying in wait for me, a lion in hiding. He's turned aside my steps and tore me to pieces. Are, are, are those descriptions of somebody who feels close, close and cuddly with God? No, it, it makes It makes a picture to us of somebody who feels like God is against them, that God does not care. Church, when you are engaged in some kind of pain or suffering and loss, let's be really, really honest. One of the things that you and I might feel is is this, that God is against you, that God does not care about you. I was going to say this to later. I'm going to say it right now because that informs everything else. Listen, one of the reasons why this chapter was written for the people of God, for you and for me, is to wake us up to the reality that if you feel these things, if you're experiencing these things, if you're having these thoughts when you're suffering, you're not abnormal. And you're not even sinning if you feel this way. Because this is a natural result of what pain and suffering can make us feel and even begin to think. And so he's saying, listen, if you feel like God is against you when you're in suffering and pain or that he doesn't care, that's not an abnormal thing to feel. There is, though, a problem when we start to feel this way. Church, when you feel like somebody is against you or somebody doesn't care about you, are you quick to run to that person? Is that somebody, then, that you want to talk to and engage with? Is that somebody that you're going to look to to comfort you? No. No. And so we got to be really careful. What do we do when we feel this, this way? We want to hide from this type of person. He also tells us, though, is, that there's another way that we feel when we're in pain, suffering, and loss. You can feel like an outcast. You can feel alone. You're going through this thing. And that's, that's what Julian was talking about at the beginning when he was saying, that I'm going through my pain and my suffering. No one else is going through it. It's hard for them to even to acknowledge it. Look at what he says in verse 7. He has walled me about so that I cannot escape. He has made my chains heavy. Though I call and cry for help, he shuts out my prayers. He has blocked my ways with blocks of stone. He has made my paths crooked. I can't get to the things that I feel like I need to, to help me. I feel like an outcast. I feel alone. When we are suffering with pain, when we are faced with loss, we can feel distant from God. We can feel distant from others. There can feel like there's just a wall between us and other people and especially against a wall between us and God. And if you feel alone, if you feel like an outcast, if you feel like God is against you, it makes sense why he also tells us that one of the things you can feel is bitter. You can become very, very bitter. You can have feelings of of bitterness, like your soul is being poisoned. That's literally the word here. I feel like my soul is is poisoned. He says in verse 5, he has besieged me and enveloped me with bitterness. There it is in tribulation. Verse 15, he has filled me with... Bitterness. He has seeded me with wormwood. He has made my teeth grind on gravel. That's a pleasant picture, isn't it? Here, chew on this for a moment, right? He's made me cower in ashes. Not you, but somebody else, I'm sure. Have you ever seen someone who has been suffering and they've gotten bitter? I mean, not you. You never have ever felt that when you or I were suffering. But other people get bitter, right? They feel bitter. They they feel poisoned. And can we be truthful with one another? Sometimes we don't like to be around people who are suffering because they are bitter. You see what they're going through, and they're just, you know, they're negative Nellies, right? The Bible comes to you and says, do you know that's one of the things that you can feel, that you can experience in suffering and loss? And then it culminates in this in verses 17 through 20. You can feel hopeless. That might be the most obvious one. He says, my soul is bereft of peace. Wow. I have forgotten what happiness is. Have you ever been there? A moment in your life where there's no peace, but you've forgotten what happiness is. There's this... Seen both in Lord of the Rings, the movie, and then in the books where Frodo is carrying the ring to Mount Doom. Uh, if you don't know the story, read the books. Come on, get with it. Um, <clears throat> and, and the ring represents a source of evil, and he's been, he's been charged with the burden of carrying this ring. And, and they're almost there to destroy the ring. And And they're talking to one another, and Frodo and Sam, his his companion that's with him on the journey, as they're suffering together, they're they're like, I've forgotten the taste of food. And every time I I read that or I see that in the movie, I think about this. I've forgotten what happiness is. I'm so consumed with the suffering of my loss. Food has lost its taste, and it's not because of COVID, okay? It's because I'm in pain and I'm suffering. He's like, I don't even know what happiness is anymore. My endurance has perished. All of these things, church, are what we can experience and feel when we're in pain, suffering, and loss. And maybe some of you have known this. Maybe some of you are feeling this today and we're looking at this point for one simple reason. It's in the Bible and it's in the Bible for you and I to know that in a fallen world these are the things that we can experience and these are the things that we can feel. And if you're feeling this way, it's not because you're not a good Christian and it's not because you're some form of a weak person. It's because this is the result of sin in our world and what it can do and what it can conjure up with inside of us. And the author of Lamentations is saying, if you think that you are going to fly through this world and not experience any of these things or feel this way, if you're flying through this world trying to avoid feeling any of these things, then you're kidding yourself. And we need to be real with one another as a church, as a people of God, and say sometimes, whether because of our sin, whether because of the sins of others, whether just because we live in a fallen world and a consequence of it is pain and suffering, you can feel this way. I want us as a church to have a category for ourselves that lets us say that if you've lost someone... Or you are suffering in some way, shape, or form, that the reality is you might feel one of these things, or all of them, or even more, and if you are, don't be surprised, but also come to know that this isn't the only thing, that this is all that you're left with, because the passage goes on. It's not just a chapter intended to communicate to us the reality of sin and its consequences, but it tells us ultimately the needed response in the midst of pain, suffering, and loss. This beautiful chapter comes to us and it says, here is the needed response for you and I when we are faced with pain, suffering, and loss. And the very first thing, the very first thing that this chapter shows us that we as the people of God must do the way that we are to respond is so simple, yet out of all the people that I counsel, it's probably one in ten that have actually said, I've done this. Are you ready? Here it is. Cry out to God. Cry out to God. As you go through this chapter, as you go through the book of Lamentations, look at what the author is doing He knows the cause of his pain and suffering. But he literally takes 20 verses to let God know how he feels. No comment yet on whether or not his feelings are correct. Just calling out to God, expressing how he is feeling and what that is doing to him. And I want to ask you the question, church. It's not just here in Lamentations, but it's in the Psalms. We see all these Psalms of Lament. We talked about this even during the summer. Did you know that... If you are in pain, if you have suffered loss, did you know that you can tell God about it? That you can come to Him and that you can express. You're hurt, and that not only can you tell God about it, but that God wants to hear it. We are not designed to keep the pain in our hearts and minds alone. He gives us the Psalms of Lament. He gives us an entire book of the Bible to let us know that when we're in the midst of pain and suffering, we can cry out, to God, His word demonstrates over and over again that if you're in pain and if you're suffering, that you can go to God and you can say, God, I don't like this. This hurts. It makes me feel like you're not there. It makes me feel like you're against me. It makes me feel bitter and alone. I feel like an outcast right now. And if you think the spiritual person wouldn't say those kinds of things to God, If you think the spiritual person just has to work through those things and say, no, I can't express how I'm feeling to God, then you gotta do something with Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ on the cross cried out and he said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He knew in his humanity what it felt like to experience pain and suffering. And God in the flesh even made his emotions and his feelings known. We can cry out to God. We are not to hold these things in all by ourselves. You see, look, we do not live in a world where the people you and I have a relationship with can know what you're thinking. Right? Do you know anybody, do you have a relationship with anybody in the world who always knows exactly what you're thinking? Now, don't be careful, all right? You know, you're like, well, I know what they're thinking. No, you don't know what they're thinking. Every relationship you have in your life, in order for somebody to really know what's in your heart and mind, you're going to have to tell them about it. And when you assume, how well does that go? (laughs) Yeah, you know, those are the... (laughs) Think about this. Some of you would say, why should I have to... speak these things to God, doesn't God know everything? The answer is yes, he knows everything. But you don't know that. You see, because you are designed by God and live in a world where everyone that you communicate with doesn't know your mind. And so in order for you to communicate with them, what do you have to do? You have to let them know. And yet Christians sometimes, we get in our brain that we should engage in a relationship with a personal God in a different sort of way. And one of the things we do is we're like, well, God knows already what I'm thinking. God knows what I need, so I don't have to express it to him. There is no other relationship in your life where you function in that way. And God over and over and over and over and over again in his word says, do not treat me differently in relationship like you do other people in which you gauge in relationship. Cast all your cares upon me because I care for you. Come and ask of me, he says over and over again. Yet somehow we think as Christians that God is so different, he is, but that he's so different that we can't engage him like we do other people with whom we have relationship. And the Bible says that's never how he presents himself. He wants you to go and to talk to him. He describes himself as a father to us, as a shepherd for us. Cry out to him. Let him know what it is that you are experiencing. I think there's a really practical reason why God wants us to not keep it in, but to bring our pain and what we're feeling to him. This is an iPhone. I think it weighs eight ounces or something like that. You know, the interesting thing about this is if I hold on to this iPhone like this for a minute... It doesn't impact me at all. It doesn't hurt me anyway. I can hold on to it for a minute, just like this. It weighs eight ounces. If I kept holding on to this iPhone for an hour, though, does the weight of the iPhone change? No, the weight of the iPhone won't change. Still weighs eight ounces. But how will my arm start to feel? Tired. I keep holding on for it for two hours, three hours, four hours, five hours, six hours, seven hours, eight. Can I hold on to this for 24 hours? No, I wouldn't be able to do it. Did the weight of the iPhone change? No. My ability, though, to carry it, are you tracking with me? We can't carry these things in and of ourselves. God comes to us, and he says, cry out to me, release to me what you're feeling. If you're going to respond to suffering correctly, you don't hold on to it. You don't keep it in. You don't stuff it down. You cry out to the Lord. How many, now you don't have to raise your hands, But this is what I mean when I say I find that so many people don't take the gift that God has given and cry out to Him. That when you have something going on in your life that is painful and it's making you feel the feelings that we talked about earlier, do you ever just cry out to Him? Do you ever find yourself saying things like this, Lord, I just got yelled at today by someone at my work for something that I did not deserve. And it just, it's making me feel so unappreciated. My children are disobeying me. They're living in rebellion against you. Why, oh Lord, are you allowing this to happen? It doesn't make sense. Can we say those things to God? Come on now. Can we, can we talk to God that way? Yes. When was the last time you were hurt and you just said, God, I'm just making you known how I'm feeling? I'm going to get like real, real with you here for a moment, okay? So some of you know that uh, over a year ago before COVID hit, uh, Hannah and I were approached with another opportunity to adopt some children and to bring them into our life. They were babies that hadn't been born yet. It was right before COVID had happened, and we were like, wow, this is surprising. Um, We weren't anticipating this, but yeah, we'd be open to it. And then COVID hit. Those babies were born, and so there's a a whole swath of these babies in this situation that have uh, these five families that are willing to adopt them, yet they have just been together in a home for over a year, and they haven't been able to be adopted yet. And they've been working to make this thing come about. And we've been wondering, times is it, is it ever going to happen? And it still hasn't happened yet. They called us recently and they said, hey, are you guys still open to this? And we're like, yeah, we've continued to pray. Nine babies, no forever homes, sitting there for over a year because the government or whoever is not doing their job. And you know how that makes me feel? Why, God? Why would you let this happen? Why would you just not allow these children who have five homes that would love to have them and take care of them, why wouldn't you place them in those homes already? It doesn't make sense to me, does it? Does it make sense to you? It seems like the best thing for those kids would just to be in the homes that they're going to be with already. God, why don't you just do this? Like, and here's the crazy thing, like, as I'm, as I'm calling out to God at times on that, I'm also thinking, like, Dave, you do know you're asking God to bring children into your life to make your life exponentially more difficult, right? Like, you're just, you're just tracking with that? Like, you, you do know that this is... But, like, there are times where I start to feel angry. It just doesn't feel just. It doesn't feel right. Like, why isn't God acting in this way? And so I just cry out to him. And you know what it does for me when I cry out to him? It's like the windshield wiper in your car. Suffering is coming and it's hitting the windshield. And, and the more rain that hits your windshield, you know, you can drive for a little while and the windshield is, you know, you can still kind of see. But eventually, too much rain on the windshield, you can't see where you're going, right? You're, unless you're weird and you're like, yeah, I can see right through rain. That's my gift. I don't know. No, you can't see, right? And that's what suffering and pain does. And one of the gifts of crying out to God and just giving it over to Him is it's like the windshield just goes, and you can see for a moment. But if it's still raining, does that last forever? No. So guess what you got to do again? Cry out to him. And then, and sometimes you're just like, goodness, it just keeps going. But God's like, don't keep it in. Don't, don't not cry out. Church, we can cry out to him. But we don't just stop there. We don't just stop there, church. Because then we come to what he says. There's more to this. We cry out. But if you just stop there, then you're not getting the fullness of what will bring you hope. He says, next, remember and proclaim to yourself what is true about God. You must then remember and proclaim to yourself what is true about God. Where do you see that? You see it right there in verse 21. Verse 21 is the central part of the entire book of Lamentations. The book actually climaxes to what we're about to see here. And it says, but this, as I cry out to him, but then this, I call to mind and therefore I have hope. What he calls to mind, what he calls to mind is who his God is and what he has done for him. Verse 22, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. It is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. Let him sit alone in silence when it is laid on him. Let him put his mouth in the dust. There may yet be hope. Let him give his cheek to the one who strikes and let him be filled with insults. Why? For the Lord will not cast off forever. But though he cause grief, though he cause grief, he will have compassion according to the abundance of his steadfast love. For he does not afflict from his heart or grieve the children of men to crush underfoot all the prisoners of the earth, to deny a man justice in the presence of the Most High, to subvert a man in his lawsuit. The Lord does not approve Who has spoken and has come to pass unless the Lord has commanded it? Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? Why should a living man complain, a man about the punishment of his sins? Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. I mean, memorize that. Put that deep within your heart because the author of Lamentations is coming and saying, I cry out to him, and I'm saying, this is how I feel, and this is what I'm thinking, but then this I call to mind. He tells his church, That as the people of God, there is an activity that we must engage in. We must take captive our feelings. We must take captive our thoughts. We must then submit them to what we know to be true of our God. We must proclaim to our hearts what is true. And he gives us like four things here. I'm just going to fly through this. This is why I said like I am inadequate for the task before us. But God's word is sufficient. He comes and he says, first and foremost, don't you see God is just? This is what I call to mind. This is what I need to proclaim God is just. There's pain and there's suffering all around me. And even though I know that God causes grief because sometimes pain and suffering is judgment because of my sin, I do not deny that my God is just. What combats feelings of bitterness? It's knowing that God is just. It's knowing that verse 31 says he's not going to cast off forever. It's knowing that what is true about him in verse 38 is this. Is it not from the mouth of the Most High that good and bad come? God is doing what he said that he will do, and he never fails in accomplishing what he says he will do. Look at how down in verse 40 he makes it abundantly clear. He says this in verse 39. Why should a living man or woman complain? A man about the punishment of his sins... Let us test and examine our ways and return to the Lord. You see what he's saying? God's just. How could you ever complain about any of the pain and the suffering in your life when you realize that all pain and suffering is the result of man's disobedience? Is any of us innocent? The text says no or not. When you go down to the very end of this entire section, look at verse 59. Look at what He says, He not only comes and he says, here's how we know God is just. Because we know that we're not innocent. We know that we don't deserve the breath in our lungs. But he also knows this, all evil will one day be dealt with forever. Verse 59, you have seen the wrong done to me, O Lord judge my cause. You have seen all their vengeance, all their plots against me. You have heard their taunts, O Lord, all their plots against me. And the lips and thoughts of my assailants are against me all day long. Behold, they are sitting and they are rising. I am the object of their taunts. Yet verse 64, you will repay, O Lord, according to the work of their hands. You will give them Dullness of heart. Your curse will be on them. You will pursue them in anger and destroy them from under your heavens, O Lord. Do you hear what he's saying? Church, is God just? Will he deal with evil? The answer is he will. And it's maybe in this life, but it will be for sure in the life to come. All evil will be punished by God. And your sin and my sin will be punished in one of two places, either at the cross of Jesus Christ or in the eternity in hell. But make no mistake, none will go unpunished because God is just, and he will repay. My prayer for you this morning is that the pain and suffering in this world will awaken you to see that sin is real, and the pain and suffering of this world pales in comparison to what we will one day receive if we're not in Jesus Christ. And the way to avoid that suffering is to fall upon the mercy of God and to accept his provision of Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Because here's the next truth we proclaim to our hearts, church. God is merciful towards his people. Can I get an amen to that? This is a whole message in and of itself, but he says it in verse 22. The steadfast love of the Lord lasts for about 24 hours. Is that what it says? Oh, praise God. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will have hope. This pain and this suffering, if you are in Jesus Christ, if you are one of his people, it will not last forever because God is merciful towards his people. The beauty, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ is this truth. God shows his steadfast love and mercy towards you, not because of the things that you do, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. And before Christ ever came, his love and compassion for his people was always based on the covenant that he made. He made that covenant with his people, and he said, you are my people. I delivered you. It's not because of what you do. It's because of what I've done. And so, too, we stand today. I think about this beautiful passage in Titus 3 that says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, amen, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. God is merciful towards his people. When I feel like I don't understand what's going on, and I feel like, God, you're against me, you don't care. What do we do, church? Is it true? Is God against us? Does He not care for us? Are we outcasts? Are we alone? You will feel that because you're a human. But this I call to mind, and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, His mercies never come to an end. God is just, God is merciful, God's timing is perfect. There's this whole section. I don't have time to get into it this morning. Verses 25 and following talks about how it's good for us to wait on the Lord for the soul who seeks him. It talks about waiting. Why is he talking about waiting? Why why is it good for us to wait? I don't know about you, but we don't like waiting. Waiting feels like a waste, doesn't it? I'm telling you, this last year as we've waited for this adoption to potentially unfold, I'm telling you, it feels like a waste of time. I know that one day, because God is just, God is merciful, and His timing is perfect, God's going to get to heaven, and He's going to lovingly kind of hit me upside the head and say, was it a waste? It feels like it, but that's what this verse is about. When you are waiting in your suffering, in your pain, and in your loss, it's not wasted. His timing is perfect. That's what that's about. When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a virgin, Jesus Christ, to save us. I'm telling you, generations waited for the coming of the Messiah, but God's timing is perfect. We need to trust in his timing, even when it doesn't feel like it. And then we finally call to mind this, church, God hears in response to his people. The whole verse, it ends in verse 55, the final concluding section, he says, I called on your name, O Lord From the depths of the pit, in my despair, I called. You heard my plea. You did not close your ear to my cry for help. You came near when I called on you, and you said what? Do not fear. He hears you, and he hears me. This is our God. In and through Jesus Christ, he hears us. You know, what's very interesting is, after he says, this I, call to ho- this I call to mind, therefore I have hope. When I tell myself these things, it does help. It brings hope to our hearts in the midst of suffering. But then something happens in verse 41. The author of Lamentation says, it, the rest of your life turns up roses. That's what he says. No, he doesn't. When you read verses 41 and following, he talks about how all of a, all of a sudden, after he calls these things to mind, people start taunting him, and he starts feeling all these thoughts over again. And it's like, why does he do that? I thought, I thought everything turns up roses. If, we, if we're feeling pain and suffering, we cry out to him and we remember who he is and what he's done and we proclaim these things to our heart, everything will be great. But the author of Lamentations says, it's gonna be a struggle. This side of heaven, sin and its consequences will remain a struggle. But one day it's gonna come to an end, amen? Church, I don't know what you're going through. I don't know the pain that you're in. Look at Lamentations 3. Take it in. Know that you can cry out to him. Know that you can call out to him. Know that he hears you. But don't just leave it at your cries. You must. You must then go to your mind with the truth of who you know God to be and what he's done. Proclaim those truths and you will find hope. Let's pray. Father, Lord, you know the sufficiency of your word. You know that in what you have written and what you have given, Lord, we will find hope. And so, Father, I pray that you will provide that for your people today. Take my words out of the equation. Lord, let your word remain. And let these truths lead and guide us as a church family and as we look to comfort others. So we pray and we ask this in Christ's name. And all God's people said, amen. amen.